This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Do uh, keep that open if you want to uh, follow with me. Uh, if you, some of you came in a, a little after the beginning, my name is Andy Fenton. I'm the minister here. It's really great to see uh, so many of you, and uh, I hope you can stay afterwards for some mince pies uh, and some drinks as well. Now, I guess uh, some of you will have been thinking about uh, the sacrifice that it took to get here tonight. X Factor Final is on in just a few moments, and uh, I will be watching it, so don't panic. We'll get back in time. Two persons' names are pretty significant tonight, aren't they? Fleur and Ben Haynow. What a ridiculous name that is. But, you know, Ben and Fleur, they're the big people of tonight. But I wonder what you've been talking about this Christmas. We could go to a slightly more serious thing. Apparently there's a weather bomb on the way. I'm not sure what that is, but the BBT tell me that something's coming. Politics. I don't know if you saw Russell Brand and uh, Mr Farage on Question Time. Bit of a beat-up, wasn't it, on Thursday night? Maybe you're talking about those kind of things. Maybe you go to health. You know, the, you know, the issues that uh, are facing us. Uh, again, the, the newspapers reported this week that more than ever before are we kind of all on prescribed drugs. Not all of us, but nearing 50% of us. A larger figure than ever before. Perhaps economic issues. They're at the heart of your conversations this Christmas. Whether it's the personal finances, which are feeling a little bit stretched because of London life, or just the bigger issues of the increased deficit in our nation. What are you talking about this Christmas? Maybe you, like me, like, we like to turn to the lighter things, don't we, sometimes? You know, it, the, not the dress that someone wore, but what someone was wearing, or you know, that kind of thing. Maybe it's just the gossip that's going around your workplace at the moment. Maybe you like to talk about those things. And in that sense, Christmas is no different to any other time of the year, is it? We don't stop talking about the things that really matter to us. There's no point trying to deceive ourselves that we suddenly become, we suddenly think about, we suddenly uh, kind of speak about anything that's particularly different. Let me illustrate that, if I can, with a perennial Christmas green the wonderful Brussels sprout. See, the majority of the population throughout the year, they, none of us entertain the thought of ever purchasing or consuming that wonderful 
green. But someone has told us, probably a conspiracy led by a sprout farmer somewhere in deepest Shropshire, but someone's told us that if we don't have sprouts, we're missing something when it comes to Christmas. So, you know, the reality is that actually, of all the sprouts purchased, of all the sprouts cooked, of all the sprouts lovingly brought out and placed onto your Christmas table, a tabloid reported last year that less than 50% are actually eaten. So said a tabloid. But the point is this. We may put sprouts on the table. We may even like the fact that sprouts are on our Christmas tables. But still the majority of the population, you can't change the fact that they just don't like them. This Christmas, I guess, we will talk about and even embrace a number of traditions like that, of you know, eating various things, doing various things, to get us into the spirit of the season. But it doesn't change us, does it? Who we are, what we talk about, what we think about. The mistletoe, the holly, the Christmas trees, the wonderful Christmas jumpers, which I see many of you are donning tonight. Well done. You know, all the trimmings of the Santa Claus, the turkey, they are lovely, aren't they? But they come and they go. And in less than a month, you will look back and there'll be no difference whatsoever, apart from you have a slightly wider, wider waist and a slightly smaller bank account. See, festivities, they're just festivities, aren't they? They come and they go, they're lovely, and we enjoy them. And let me hear, hear me right here, I'm not being some killjoy. I love it. It's brilliant, isn't it? And they're fun. These are good things. In fact, these, these are wonderful things because it forces us to spend more time with our friends and our families, our loved ones. We spend more time resting, which London life is good, that's healthy. We're forced to be generous. That's a good thing. But none of these things have really any lasting effect, do they? For example, did you know that uh, only 29% of the population now lights their Christmas puddings with a bit of brandy? Did you know that? And only 3% of our population put a little coin in the bottom of our little Christmas, of the pudding. Now, in my grandfather's generation, everyone did that. You see, the impact of Christmas in the lives of so many is as transitory as the traditions in which we so embrace in our culture. They melt like snow in the gutter of Christmas past. Christmas, well, you see, it doesn't change us, does it? People speak of peace and goodwill to all men. You even just sung it. But offer a kind of notional goodwill to charity and a veneer of peace at the family gathering, we just default to who we are, don't we? Come January, you'll be talking about the same stuff that you were talking about in November. You'll be living the same life. You'll be thinking the same way, being the same person. So why bother with Christmas? Why not simply be honest? And we can have a, a secular, a public holiday. We, we can enjoy all of the wonderful things, time of rest, spend time with our family. We could even give presents. And we could do it any time in the year. Probably a better time where we don't have to dress up and wear scarves and everything. We could do it in the middle of the summer because Christmas is an arbitrary day anyway. But there's something to talk about at Christmas, I think. There's something to think about. There is something that won't melt like snow into the gutter of Christmas past. But rather it will stand the test of time of all your days and beyond. Now, you see, what is this something? I, I, you know the answer. You know where I'm pointing to. You know where we are. So you, you kind of guessed that, the answer already. 
You see, the thing I think we need to consider this Christmas is actually Christmas. It's Christmas. You see, for all the fun and the traditions that our culture tries to engage us in, I think it does so at a cost, doesn't it? The cost being that we equate tradition with Christmas. Now, I know this isn't politically correct. I know that it goes beyond the veneer of the trivial that kind of mars most of my conversations and probably yours too as well. But for a moment, I dare you. Don't let the culture in which we live suppress something so profound, something so beautiful, something so lasting. After all, it is, it is Christmas. That is, it's Christ's Mass. Christ, the celebration of him, essentially. The problem this creates is, I guess, is it, it forces us to think and to dare to feel beyond a realm in which most of us feel comfortable. But Christ, because Christ, I, I guess for most people in this country, has, has become somewhat, somewhat of a, a trinket that we place on the mantelpiece of our life. Just once a year, we get him out in our control the way we want him. But he requires more than that kind of lip service. His love for you, yes, can be overwhelming and absolutely thrilling. But it also can be demanding and life-changing. So I'm going to encourage us now, just very quickly, and I mean very quickly, to look at Christmas To think of Christmas, to dare this Christmas, to speak of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. There's two points I just want to very quickly make, and they're shorter than my introduction, so really don't panic. Your candles won't burn your hands. We won't get there. I want us not to look at two names like Fleur and Ben, but to look at two names that we've just seen in the passage of which we just heard read to us. The first name I want to look at comes in verse 23. Verses are the little two, uh, 23s, um, the little numbers that are down on your verses there, on your, on your sheets there. And in verse 23, uh, the passage says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, first name tonight is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means literally God with us. Now, I guess if you're a cynic here, and there may be some of you here, then you've already dismissed anything that I'm about to say, primarily because it speaks and mentions a virgin birth. You're probably thinking, and just so you're aware, your thinking is exactly like Joseph was thinking. You're thinking, Mary had a fling with the milkman, and I need to sort it out. But you, you, you dare not... You dare not imagine that God could ever be involved. Because if it is, if God is involved, then you might have to start, a, let me be honest, a fairly uncomfortable, uh, you know, an uncomfortable road to consider that you are not the ultimate end of your existence or anyone else's. That there's something greater, that there's something bigger. And that is hard. And it takes a great deal of humility. But notice Jesus, uh, sorry, not Jesus, Joseph needs convincing. And he needs convincing just like you and just like me. But his heart is open. And he's willing to accept that if there is something bigger than him, then that could involve a miracle. And he's willing to see that God is going to intervene in a loving way. And he's bigger than Joseph. He's bigger than Mary. He's bigger than you and me. 
So run with this. So for, for, just for a moment, you cynics, if you possibly can. Imagine that there is a, a miraculous birth, that God has come to live amongst us, that this baby is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. But of course, that, that Emmanuel name is, is more than a title. It's more than a position or an office. Because God is with us, that means there's a relationship on offer. He's offering relationship that will never let you down. That will always be there. That is perfectly intimate. Perfectly loving. Perfectly loyal. In essence, what you all want. But equally significant is, is the fact that in Jesus coming, in God being with us, in Emmanuel, we can now know what God is like. God can sometimes it, it, it feel so distant and seem so distant, can't he? And that is why so many around the world have sought to create their own God or just say there is no God. But shown here through this miraculous uh, birth, and as time goes on, uh, Jesus will grow up, Emmanuel, God with us, will grow up. And he will demonstrate his godness again and again and again. And not just recorded in the Bible, but in Jewish history, in Greek history, in Roman history too. Go to the British Museum. Have a look. The evidence is there for all to see. You see, God has donned a body so that we can understand who God is in terms that you and I can comprehend. And what is that? It is probably the greatest act of kindness and love that you will ever know. God is with us. And we can relate to him. We can know him and love him and be loved by him. It's extraordinary. Where before, if you know the Bible at all, in the Old Testament, God had to be approached with all sorts of rituals and sacrifices. No, now you can know him and relate to him through a person. Now, the fact that God has come to be with us in such lowly circumstances, you know, earlier we had a stable and a manger here and it was all a bit crazy and so on. But you don't dismiss the lowly circumstances because you're kind of putting your kind of postmodern, Western affluent expectations on this situation. Don't mar this beautiful act of love just because of the expectations you have today. God did not have to do this. But in his love, he, he, if you like, he's opening his arms wide open to you and to me in this first Christmas gift. And he's offering the world relationship, the possibility of it, that will ultimately lead to eternal relationship with him. Now you're probably thinking, oh, this all seems so simple. God's come down, Emmanuel, God is with us, and all we have to do is offer this relationship. Everything's great. We can be with him for eternity. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, that would be right if we were all okay with God. But we're not, are we? God is perfectly loving, but as the Bible shows us again and again, he's also perfectly just. And therein lies a problem, you see, because all of us recognise, I don't know if you noticed, but you're not quite perfect, are you? I saw that in the mirror this morning. It wasn't pleasant. Our own failures, they, they loom large, don't they, in our hearts? Even those before our friends and family, they know our failures, they know our weaknesses, they know our struggles. Now you put that into the scale of what God knows about you. And you realise that you're not perfect. 
Let me illustrate, if I can, the extent of our imperfection. Many of you will know Arthur Conan Doyle, especially big readers out there. You know, the great Sherlock Holmes, who wrote about him. He once wrote a telegram to ten of his friends. This is kind of high Victorian society, okay? So they wrote telegrams. It would have been emails these days, wouldn't it? But he wrote ten telegrams to his best friends. The telegram read like this. It was short, but hear what it said. All is revealed. Flee at once. Stop. Do you know what happened? Of the ten people who received that telegram, five packed their bags that night and were never seen again. All is revealed. It's a bit of a funny joke, and I'm not going to send you one tomorrow, so really don't panic. Um, But all is revealed. It's not, though, is it? Because you know the stuff in your heart, in your life, which no one in this room, no one in this world knows except you. And if it were revealed, I think you'd probably hang your head a little bit. Oh, we may not be as bad as some folks we read about in the papers and so on, but before a perfect God... We all stand before him, don't we, in some ways, with a bit of baggage. Oh, we're not as bad as others, but some. The Bible calls that rebellion. It's got another word for it, and we don't like using it, but it's sin, essentially. And don't get me wrong here, it's uncomfortable hearing that, isn't it? We're forever being flattered by the world around us, because flattery gets things done, doesn't it? It keeps us all relatively happy, but not truly content, Does it? Because we all know the reality of who we are, don't we? And don't hear me wrong again. The reality of many of our lives isn't that we're explicitly rebellious the whole time. You know, many of, I I guess all of us here, are very likeable people. We'd all like to go down for a little drink and, and have a really pleasant time. And I'm sure we would. But the reality is that most of us just ignore God. We take him out when we want him. But we get on with lives as we please. But whichever way, whether you're explicitly rebellious or just ignoring God, the Bible still describes that as rebellion or sin. Because in the offer of friendship, of God with us, what we've done is severed that relationship, that friendship, either with our doing or our non-doing. See, Christmas, it's about Christ. Christ who is Emmanuel. He's God with us. God offering relationship with that. But we've severed. Often through our very cool middle class indifference towards him. But here is where, if you like, Christmas gets its tinsel on. This is where it gets even better. Let me just show you the next name if we can. Do you spot the other name that was used of the baby in the story? It's of the obvious one. It's Jesus. Which actually means, it comes from an Old Testament name, but it means that he will save people. Jesus means saviour, literally. And he will save people from their sins. You see, in God being perfectly uh, eternal and just and loving, it means that in our ignoring him, in our rebellion against him, that's going to have eternal consequences. We can't get away from that. Well, don't, you know, think about justice for a moment. We love justice. When we don't see justice in the world around us, it makes our blood boil, doesn't it? We get really cross when there's leniency in sentencing. We want it. And God promises it perfectly and rightly. 
but eternally as well. Now, I'm a fairly nice guy. I think I'm reasonably educated and I've never murdered anyone. I I even helped a mum the other day carry her pushchair with a child up some stairs of a train station. All the rest of you ignored her. So I'm pretty good, relatively. But before God, I am not perfect. And like you, I deserve some justice for that. But you see the name of the baby? (laughs) This is what is worth talking about, my friends. This is what is worth talking about at Christmas. The baby is given the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And again, I don't like this. It kind of makes me feel uncomfortable because I have to acknowledge that my ignoring God deserves some reckoning, some justice. But the Bible is very clear that that will be utterly fair and utterly right. That Jesus can save people from a place and time of eternal justice to a place and a time of God's eternal love. You see, the great news of of Christmas is this, this baby born did not remain a baby. But he grew up and he lived a life, a perfect life that you or I can never live. And then one day he was beaten He was flogged and he was put on a cross, a Roman cross. And at that point, the Bible tells us that he took on himself, in his love for you, he took on himself all the justice that my rebellion and my ignoring God deserves. I describe it to my boys in a simple way. It's just a swap. It's really simple. That God, Jesus, takes on himself everything I deserve, but... His perfect life can be counted as yours. Relationship restored. That is Christmas. God is offering a relationship with you through his son, Jesus, who will save you from the justice that your rebellion deserves. Does it sound like a good gift? It's worth talking about. Two names slightly more significant than Fleur and Ben. Let me finish like this. When you're a dad, I hate this time of Christmas because I have to spend hours wrapping presents. Feel sorry for me because it's probably the worst night of my life. But before Christmas, my boys look under the Christmas tree and they'll pick up their presents. And with a sense of intrigue and excitement, they'll shake them around a bit. Push them out. What's this? What's this shape? Sometimes I put boxes inside boxes. That's what good parents do. It's very intriguing, though. It's very exciting. Let me tell you, there's a present under your tree this Christmas. And my encouragement to you is this. I dare you to shake it. I dare you to pick it up. I want you to examine it. With all the ability that you've been given. It's always been there, you know. You may have ignored it because the wrapping paper looks a little bit old. But I want you to have a look at it. I want you to shake it. Examine it for some time and see what you think. Begin to talk about it. Go beyond the weather. Go beyond the politics. Go beyond the X Factor and the Strictly Come Dancing. Because God has come to be with us in his absolute, eternal Love. 
to save us. So that you can be with him, knowing his eternal love forever. So what are you going to talk about this Christmas? I want to encourage you to talk about Christmas. Let me pray as we close. Dear God, it is a wonderful privilege and a wonderful joy to understand more of what you have done for us. And just, we love Christmas. We love the time of getting with friends and family. Of all the festivities, they are brilliant. There's lots of fun to be had, but just please do give us moments this Christmas if we can to consider what we've been learning tonight, to consider Christmas and what is on offer. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our final hymn, Carol, O Come All You Faithful.
things that you might want to consider as you leave uh, this evening. First and uh, foremost, there's a, a, little, uh, a little slip inside your uh, sheets. If you want to find out more about Christchurch Hills for the church to meet here every week at 4 o'clock uh, on a Sunday, uh, then please do just pop your name down there. I do promise we won't spam you or anything like that or pass on your information through those uh, networks. It will simply will, will send one email or one text and let you know uh, when we're meeting. But it's 4 o'clock here every Sunday. It's very informal, um, as you kind of might have gathered this evening. Uh, and we just we want to teach people what the Bible faithfully says. Um, and we spend good time doing that. Our services are fairly short, though. They're about an hour, hour and ten minutes. Uh, but you'd be more than welcome to come and join us, um, perhaps in the new year. What we've been looking at just in the last couple of weeks uh, have been uh, the beginning parts of Matthew's Gospel. You've just heard a couple of pointers uh, from just a, a few verses this evening. Uh, but as we go through January, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, and what happens after the birth narrative of Jesus, and looking at those historical documents and finding out more. And if you'd like to come along, you'd be more than welcome. We have guests every week, and we have opportunities to ask questions, uh, what I say as well, and so please do come along. Uh, I hope you find it informative, uh, but also kind of stimulating as well to your minds. If you want to read uh, anything, uh, then can I encourage you first and foremost again, just read the Bible. I think it's, I, when I was a kid, my dad said, look, I don't want to force you into this. Read everything. Uh, I was encouraged to read the Quran, I read the Bible, I read pretty much every religious document I could. But I was utterly convinced by the historicity of what I have in my hands right now. And I would encourage you to do likewise. Have a look at it. Uh, dismiss it, of course, if you want to. But have a look. Maybe you've never done that as an adult. And I'd love to encourage you to do that. We've got a couple of copies of uh, Matthew's Gospel just on the table as you go out, and please do take them. And if they run out, just nick one of the Bibles at the back, and uh, I'd be very happy to replace them uh, if you've stolen them. Obviously, not stolen, but taken them. That'd be great. The other thing is, uh, if you just want to find out a little bit of what I've been saying this evening, is a, there's a little leaflet here, it's called The Real Christmas. It's a bit of a read on tune, but it would be helpful in kind of summarising the Christmas narrative, the Christmas story, and what it means for each one of us. So please do take one of those, there's a number of those, as you go out. The last thing I wanted to mention is, um, on the back part of your sheet, you'll see a little notice, it just says Jesus in big words there, I'm sorry about that. Um, and then it says, who, why, and so what? And I'm simply going to put on an evening at my house, which is just down the road, and on Rebel State Road, about a few hundred metres away from here. And it's an evening on the 8th of January, Thursday, 8 o'clock. And it, it, it's come along, and you can, you know, you'll get the messiness of family life a little bit as I put the boys to bed, but we'll have a dessert, we'll have some uh, drinks as well, probably some coffee, and you can, I'll do a little bit of input, I'll tell you a bit more about the Christian faith, but then you can come back. You can ask some questions, basically, uh, as many as you like. And I'd encourage you, it, there's no strings attached to that, you just come along one evening and that's it. Come and ask some questions if you want to, uh, you'd be more than welcome. There's a number of people are already coming, so you won't be alone. Um, but if you want to come to that, again, there's a little thing um, on here, you can tick the box on that little form, just leave those on the table as you go out, and you would be great to see you there. That's it from me uh, this evening. I really hope you've had a wonderful uh, and enjoyable time. I suggest you blow out a candle before you burn your fingers. Uh, there'll be a bucket on your way out, and you can put those out there. But there's mold, there's mold drinks, sorry, you won't have mold wine in the building. Um, and uh, there's uh, mince pies as well being served. But, the last thing for me to say is have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year.